LBT is really relevant right now, especially in the kind of face of COVID-19. Our technology doesn't have a solution for COVID-19, but it's our it's, it's all of these laboratories all around the world that are doing the COVID-19 testing that are our customers. And so what our product does is it provides efficiencies to our customers who are faced at the moment with um, some real challenges with the testing of COVID-19. But there's a bit of dichotomy there because they actually have also seen quite a significant reduction in their normal routine workflow. And that's just because all of the elective surgery has been postponed and and so the, the dialogue that we're having with, with all of our customers at the moment is thinking of what happens coming out the other side of COVID-19 because it's technology around automation that will be really, really applicable once the backlog opens up. They're going to really need solutions such as ours to support them along their journey. So um, so this is the agenda I'm going to talk through. Moving on to the, the first slide just um, uh, gives a bit of a, a picture of what our instrument looks like. and. To give the best practical example of the space that we operate, which is clinical microbiology, is most people have heard of a urinary tract infection. Well, if you have a UTI or if you think you have a UTI, you, uh, the urine specimen goes to, to a pathology lab. It's put onto an agar plate. It's then incubated for a number of hours. And following incubation, you have a scientist sit at a workbench to read and to see what's growing on that plate. And it's that part of the workflow, that reading part of the workflow that's currently done by a microbiologist that we've been able to automate. And we've automated that by training an algorithm. Uh, we've been at this for 10 years before everyone was doing AI and it was a sexy buzzword. Um, it's a patent-protected algorithm that we have gone through extensive clinical trials and are now at the phase of early commercialization. So... We've gone through all of the technical feasibility. We've gone through the clinical trial. We've gone through the regulatory clearances where we have a product in the market that's currently available for sale. So we've de-risked a lot of those typical kind of risk points that perhaps investors might hear from healthcare-based companies. And so this is our instrument, the Automated Plate Assessment System, or we call it APAS, and it automates culture plate reading. And next slide. And why that's relevant for these busy labs is because microbiologists are actually in short supply. And I guess more, more than that, it's an industry that's not reducing. We're seeing more and more routine screening for, for, for specimens as people are getting, getting older. But um, the picture on the left there is what an agar plate looks like. And the picture on the right is a very typical laboratory kind of setting where you've got a scientist at a workbench manually reading the plate. And there is no other predicate. So in every lab all around the world, a culture plate is read by a human, by a microbiologist, in a very similar type of situation as you see on the screen there. And so this is the this is the specific application that our instrument is able to automate. Uh, next slide. I mentioned around the shortage of, of microbiologists. There's not enough microbiologists coming through the university system. And the key point to draw your attention to on this slide is that in the US, at any one time, 9% of microbiology biology jobs are vacant. So there's just not enough of them. And we, feel, we find that all around the world, in particular in the US, there's some particular hotspots in, in Texas and the northeast of the US where, where as we're talking to these lab directors, they just haven't been able to find microbiologists. And so when we talk to them about our instrument, 
And when we explain that, look, this, this will actually relieve your current staff from doing a pretty boring mundane task. It's important, but it's actually also pretty, pretty boring. Um, but you need to have a microbiologist to, to do the plate read. It's tied into the reimbursement system. And so this is really where we saw an opportunity, as I said, 10 years ago, where it's an area that's ripe for automation. And we've been pioneers in this space and have now delivered the only product that automates culture plate reading. And when we look at the market opportunity that exists, we've looked at it from a customer perspective first. And really what we're aiming for is those customers who can generate a payback or a return on their investment of between two to three years. And based on that, we've segmented the market into these small, medium and large labs. And probably the best takeaway of this slide is that it's a large global market opportunity. So around 13,000 labs or, or, or hospitals or labs within hospitals could benefit from an APAS independence instrument. And really the last 18 months have been focused around getting a footprint into very specific geographical markets where we're launching. And so we, we, we launched here in Australia first, and then we moved into the UK, Germany, and followed by the US. And so we're going up to four markets. So kind of translating that global market opportunity of 13,000 labs to what is a very specific targeted addressable market of 2,000 labs within those four countries. So, so that's those labs who, who could benefit from, from an APAS with a payback of that kind of two to three years. We've already made some sales along the way. So our first instrument sale was to St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. We've sold one to, to, a, to a key opinion leader in Germany, Labor Wisplinghoff. They're the single largest lab in Germany and one of the largest in all of Europe. They've actually got two instruments installed at the moment. We've got an instrument installed in Hennepin Health in Minneapolis. They haven't purchased one yet, but we're going through the process um, uh, of that, and they, they will look to buy an instrument. And you can see a bit of a diagram there around where the, where, where the key markets are in terms of size and volume. And, and the US is a really big market for us. About 1,500 labs exist there. And some of the work that we've done over the last 12 months is some lead generation work where we've trained a US-based call center to effectively do a whole bunch of cold calling for us to generate a whole bunch of qualified leads that in January, since we put a US-based salesperson on, he now has the task of following up uh, a lot of those leads. So we've got this global presence, which is really important. We've got key opinion leaders that are established that have either purchased an instrument or about to purchase an instrument, but maybe or as important to that is that they're advocates of the technology. So what that means is that they have got up on podiums at various conferences globally, presented around their experience using our technology, published, pa published papers, and they're open to have other labs come visit them to see the instrument working in their lab in situ. Next slide. Um, so I've kind of gone over a lot of this already, but really the core technology of our product is not the physical instrument. Well, the instrument we think is designed really nicely and it looks great. Really the invention lies with the algorithm. So this is the AI based algorithm that we've trained to interpret pixel by pixel what's on the plate. And we call that an analysis module. And that's really the, the, the most critical part uh, of the instrument. And when we think about what it means for the lab, it's, it, it generates an efficiency that's three times faster than that of a, of a manual plate read. And we've gone through all the regulatory clearances and importantly gone through the extensive clinical trials. 
And we, we really stand alone, so there's no direct competitor, but there are competitors from a workflow perspective. And here are a couple that are listed here. And you can see they're very large instruments. And what they do is that they really automate the mechanical movement of plates across the workflow. So they automate putting the specimen onto the plate. It, it's automated, goes through a track system and goes into an incubator. They're kind of the, the big devices you can see on the screen. And, and after incubation, there is a camera that takes a photo. So rather than a microbiologist sitting at a bench physically handling the plate and, and doing an assessment, they're doing that assessment on a computer screen. So think of these big instruments as really mechanical movement of plates through that workflow that still requires a trained scientist, a microbiologist to do the interpretation. So yes, provide some automation, but gee, they're expensive. They start at $2.5 million US and they are, they are the sizes of three or four boardrooms, big boardrooms. So they're, they're big investments, really only focused on the larger labs. Next slide. So when you look at where we saw the market opportunity, well, we saw an opportunity to address what is a much larger market. That's really your, your medium-sized labs and even some of your smaller labs. So rather than, than automate that end-to-end -end process, which is that workflow you, you see at the bottom at $2.5 million, we said, well, wouldn't it be great to automate that part that a scientist does? And, and that's the, the plate reading. And so we have a modular footprint so it doesn't take a huge amount of space. It plugs into a standard power socket. There's no plumbing. There's no difficult installation that's required. And the installation is typically done in, in, in about half a day. Um, that includes the training at a much more affordable price to allow labs to get into automation without the big capex. So this talks about the analysis modules. We have a number of analysis modules that are in development. And what this is simply saying is that the more modules we have, the, the larger the market opportunity that exists, and the, and the greater the return. Uh, next slide. And that kind of paints a bit of a picture around some of the clearances that we already have achieved. So we've got the urine module available in the US and we submitted our MRSA, for, which is a routine staff uh, identification to the FDA in March. We've got the CE marking already for MRSA, but there's a portfolio of additional um, analysis modules that also extend into areas outside of clinical microbiology. So into environmental testing, testing water, testing dairy. So these are all opportunities for us to continue our development, which only increases the market further. So I mentioned we've been at it for 10 years, and when you look at it from an investment thesis perspective and when you're looking at, well, what are, the, what are the risk profiles and where are we at? Well, this kind of lays it out very simply. We've de-risked this thing in terms of getting it into the market. Where, where we are now is looking to appoint a, a distribution or a marketing partner partner or a sales channel partner to help us generate scale from a sales awareness and brand reputation perspective. And, and we believe in the near term that that kind of agreement that we've been talking about for some time um, will, uh, will, will fall into play for us, even in light of some of the challenges that are happening with COVID-19. The value proposition is pretty simple. You've got, it is a capex with a reoccurring revenue. So it's 300,000 US dollars. That's for the instrumentation itself. Then there's an annual software license of between 20 to 40,000 US dollars. It's a, a range depending on the number of analysis modules that the lab um, intends to use. And so you, we've got this annuity style revenue with the, with the software license, and then you've got the CapEx with the upfront uh, instrument. We, we also have developed various leasing models that are available. So we have flexible buying arrangements that are in place in order to, to help customers uh, navigate the budgetary constraints. And then 
kind of that bottom area just gives an idea of the quantum that we're talking about from a revenue perspective, just focused on those four launch countries that, that I spoke about. And then to give a comparison, because we're not putting forward-looking projections out, we've decided to give some examples of a couple of other products within the same workflow that we're talking about. So the bottom product, I'll start with the Previ Isla, is actually LBT's founding product. We licensed that to a large French diagnostic company who sold it for us for about five and a half years, and they were able to sell about 500 instruments globally for us. The Multitof is another um, instrument within the workflow, and over a period of 10 years, the through the distribution channels, they were able to sell 1,500 units. And so the point of this is saying is that we're talking about a large addressable market and we're giving examples of technology or automation within the same workflow that we are in um, with, with looking at what those penetration rates look like. And so this is in the hundreds we expect over, over the coming years. Really where LBT's core capability is, is within this kind of machine learning, science, software engineering, and obviously underpinning all of that with our regulatory processes and clinical validation. And so when, when, when you're thinking about LBT, that's what we're really good at. We have a pipeline of products with respect to those analysis modules that we continue to work on. So we've got a laboratory in Adelaide. We have a team of about 30 staff in those core areas of science, AI, software engineering that are working on additional analysis modules. And what we're finding is that we are getting approached by various other companies in different spaces, digital pathology, wound care and the like, who are interested in our image and image analysis capability. Experience Board, I've been with the company for coming up to four years, but before that was with the um, global leader in implantable hearing implants, Cochlear Limited, was with them for 11 years and lived in the US and Asia. Um, so really more of a big company focus and was, was brought on to, um, to really guide the company through the next wave of growth, taking over from the founder. And then we've got Kate, our chairman, who's really one of our founding board members, and then a number of other board members who are who are couple based in the US to, to give us that US focus as we look to commercialization. There's that corporate overview um, as of the 19th of May, so um, a few days outdated. From a cash position, we finished the March quarter with $6.8 million in cash, um, uh, so cash at bank. Talking about some of the inflows we announced earlier this week, a $1.5 million loan facility that we've drawn down on, and that was from the South Australian government. It's effectively a um, completely low interest um, uh, loan payment, so a non-dilutionary to shareholder um, um, capital injection into the company. Later on in the year, we expect about a $1 million of inflow for the R&D uh, tax rebate that's in place. So there's some of the inflows that exist, so, so quite stable from a balance sheet perspective. We've traditionally burned about $1.5 million a quarter. We have taken some cost-cutting measures to look to extend our runway, but while at the same time not, um, uh, not restricting any of our operational momentum. So we expect that to, to come down uh, a little bit from that $1.5 million on a go-forward basis. So kind of wrapping it up, look, we, we're at a really exciting point. Um, we've gone through a lot of the hard, heavy lifting of, of getting instruments globally all over the world with key opinion leaders in place. And, and we're quite lucky in some respect now that we can't travel anywhere that those um, relationships are established and we can, we can still continue with Zoom calls and, and the like uh, globally. But it's much more difficult when you've got to go and install and, and those things. So we, we've got those things in place. And I think probably the key near-term milestone that people or investors should be considering 
is just the work we're doing uh, around potential that the channel and getting some of these um, partners in place, which will really help us from a, a brand perspective, our geographical reach, and, and really start this um, this transition from from selling a few instruments to really scaling up our sales organisation through uh, through through channel partners in the jurisdictions that I've met, that I've spoken about. So I'll wrap it up there. Thanks. Beautiful. Thank you, Brent. There's been a couple of questions come through. Um, Mike, uh, you've asked, I've just mentioned to Mike, I believe both those questions you've asked were answered um, uh, in due course. Let me know if you need me to re-ask anything there. What is the, Patricia's asked, what is the, the accuracy of reading versus human? Yeah, so we're over 99%. In our 10,000 patient clinical trial, we had to conduct it in a way where we had three independent microbiologists review 10,000 plates. The reason we had three is because they wouldn't always agree with each other, but two out of three would. So that effectively became our truth statement. We then ran those same 10,000 plates through our APAS independence and we correlated the results. And it was a fact that body of work and our sensitivity was slight, meaning the accuracy of our instrument was actually slightly better compared with the three microbiologists. And it was that body of work that we submitted to the US FDA uh, uh, where we got our de novo clearance. So there's no other predicate that exists. We're the only one who does this and we're the only ones who have FDA clearance with respect to this technology. All right, beautiful. Um, Craig's asked, um, when will the data innovation drivers be ready? Yeah, um, good question. So the data innovations driver refers to a middleware which connects the instrument to the various laboratory information management systems. From a technical perspective, we actually finished that development early in the year. It was kind of the end of January, early February when we had the data innovations team visit us in Adelaide. What we have found is that the COVID-19 has distracted our customers and so We've, we're working with them to try to get that prioritised so they've got to validate it. So effectively what that means is install the driver and it's at our, at our um, reference site in Minneapolis as well as St Vincent's in Melbourne. So um, we're just trying to get some bandwidth from our key opinion leaders to, uh, to run through some testing, do the validation. The technical work has done. We've done some initial work, but it needs to go through a proper documentation process before we can fully release it to the market. Right. Um, I, I, I struggle there a little bit. We had a bit of a dicey internet connection there for a moment, but I'll, uh, I'll just move to the next question. The, uh, Malong has asked, is there plans to expand sales into Asia? I think in the near term, certainly what's on. So I think the answer is yes, at some point there is. And we've done some early work in Singapore, um, visiting some hospitals up there. The big markets clearly is China that most people ask us about. And, and China is a, a definitely on our radar, but probably not in, in the early stage of commercialization. They have a lot of respiratory issues in China. And so um, where in all other parts of the world, urine is the predominant specimen that goes through this workflow. In China, it's sputum. And so it's a slightly different set of development that we'll need to do to train our algorithm for sputum. And so it's on the it's on the radar, but it's not a near term um, meeting. The next kind of twelve to eighteen months uh, on on our agenda. Uh, Mike's asked, uh, "What is the forecast for the company to be profitable time wise?" <laughs> Good question. Look, I can't answer that question uh, in any specific detail. I can I can say, look, we've sold a couple of 
instruments and we expect to make some sales along the way. Uh, trickle through, I think, is the terminology I've used. I think the key thing is appointing a, a sales and marketing channel partner and that will really create that brand awareness that I mentioned before and start to generate some scale from a from a global perspective. So really, I can only talk about, well, what's our burn rate, which I've disclosed, what, what's our cash position, we're, we're quite well funded at the moment. Um, and so, so that's probably the, the extent I can answer that question. Okay. Russell's asked, uh, do you, have you ever discussed cooperation within large units that automate the incubation? Yeah, so the two competitors I had on this slide around competition are the two that have those auto-incubators and track systems. So BD are a US-based company and Copan are an Italian company. And look, they... We, we spoke, I've got a relationship with both of those companies and they're not really interested in collaborating. They they kind of have a different view to lab automation than what we do. Uh, I think where we're more aligned is with companies who are offering modular automation, so not the connected end-to-end -end automation. And so that's where we have had more strategic discussions. Um, let me see. The, we, we've, we've hit our, um, our, our one o'clock uh, end time, so I'll just take one more question. Um, let's have a look. Um, when will VRE be submitted for FDA clearance? Yeah, it's probably likely to be early 2021 at this stage. We've, we, we announced that we've commenced the clinical study component around that, um, and so that's progressing. And um, there's, a, there's a whole body of work around the documentation and the validation um, uh, documents that we need to put together. So at this stage, we're looking at sometime early in 2021.